0: You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more.
1: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the
0: no-brainers.
1: of these billboards of my massive face and just everywhere. And he was sitting in his little bucket seat in the back on the drive home going, Daddy! Daddy! And I thought, this is what it must be like to be Saddam Hussein's son. (laughs)
0: Welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and my thanks as ever to The Place Hotel in Edinburgh for allowing us some recording space. And when the usual, the regular recording space that we use there, this fringe, was occupied, they managed somehow to shoehorn myself and my guest, who is not a small man, uh, into uh, a a sort of a (laughs) a very intimate double bedroom, some uh, some floors up, uh, hidden away in the building. So thank you very much to The Place Hotel in Edinburgh for allowing us to record there. So to my guest... Jack Doherty is someone who will be known to many of you. Uh, He's had a a very expansive and unusual career, taking in um, uh, not only... Uh, his membership of the sketch group The Bodgers, which, with whom he came to the Fringe in 1980. And we'll talk a little bit about how the Edinburgh Fringe has changed since that time. Um, but he was also a key member of Absolutely, a sketch show very much beloved to people my age, uh, and uh, the resulting spin-off series Mr Don and Mr George, vast chunks of which are still quoted uh, by myself and my little brother to this day. I know there was uh, a lot of excited uh, mentioning of quotes on the ComCom Facebook page when uh, when I told you that Jack was going to be on the show. So uh, here is the interview. Uh, no extra content from this one. It was uh, a brisk 50 minutes. Very, very grateful to Jack for appearing, as well as to everyone, uh, Katie at the Gilded Balloon and everyone in the press office there uh, that helped set this interview up. You will hear throughout that I am struggling to contain myself, <laughs> such as my, uh, my gushing fanboy admiration for Jack. Um, I hope that uh, we managed to get a decent interview out of this. I'm sure we did, um, but apologies if at some points you could just hear me giddily reciting material back to him that he no longer remembers. So without further ado, this is the fabulous and very funny Jack Doherty. Let's start with your, your current run here at, uh, at the Edinburgh yes. Festival. When was the last time you were here at the festival? I was Before? last
1: here 25 years ago when I did a show with Murray Hunter off of the telly show, Absolutely.
0: And was that um, the Mr. Don and Mr. George? That was just the two of you? That
1: was just the two of us, although we were doing, we were doing those characters, but also other characters from Absolutely and also being ourselves.
0: And that was 25, because I saw yeah. that. Uh, I saw you don't that. seem old enough it to was, be... It was, I've been coming here since I was 16. It was out of town. It was it? at the, the Churchill
1: Theatre. The Churchill. Th-
0: I, saw <laughs> I saw that show. There's no record of it apparently exists online. I was yeah, trying to work yeah. out the year.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was 93. Um, That's ridiculous. Yeah.
0: This is my 25th year at the festival. Yeah, well, there you go. You must go. have, you must have seen that one, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, we went out. We thought, we're because we're from Edinburgh... Yeah. We decided to do a venue, just do it ourselves in an old venue that we had performed in as kids when we were at school here. OK, OK. To do the whole experience of we're not going to be part of the whole... We'd always done the Pleasance. That would always been our kind of gig. OK. And then we thought, no, let's just do it um, ourselves and go back to the Churchill Theatre. i don't I'm post-absolutely, and Don and George, we were well-known enough to do that, that people would go to wherever we were. Because so Don and
0: George good. was on TV
1: in 93? Uh Yes, it must have been. Yeah. Must have been. Oh, so maybe the social it was ninety four.
0: Maybe it was ninety four. Oh, That's because sure. I don't think I was that here was... in ninety three, but I definitely saw it and I started yeah, researching. Gordon George,
1: it. yeah, it was broadcast in ninety three. So my whole shtick for this year is a lie. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> <laughs> it's twenty-four years since I've been here, not I'm, twenty-five. Okay, people, we've got all we need. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Let, let's move on. <laughs> oh my god! Sorry, yes, ninety-three. Don and George was broadcast. Yes. Was, and ninety-four we kids the first. Because I saw it, so I probably
0: still have Don and yeah, George yeah. on VHS, taped ah, off yes. the telly. Yes. Me and my brother used to love it. Oh, and we, good, I will yeah. bend your ear about it. We'll get we'll
1: get on. To yeah, that. yeah, sure, sure. So well,
0: it's interesting. That you said you were you thought you had previously been at the Pleasance, and then you wanted to kind of rebel from that and do your own thing what was the sort of cultural context what did it feel like why 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 rebel
1: well it just felt like we wanted to uh, also you know it was our hometown and we sort of wanted to be part of um sort of generating uh, a kind of audience somewhere else Mm -hmm. that wasn't in the in the big four or three three venues back then I suppose and now four um that we sort of wanted to access an Edinburgh audience, it was already, even by then, it was beginning to get a little bit like um, an audience were coming in from out of town rather than being a home audience. So Edinburgh, all Edinburgh people would just flee the town. Yeah, yeah. People from all over the world would come in and go to see shows. So we were trying to access a Scottish crowd and an Edinburgh crowd because that's how we'd started. So even though it would only been 13 years since we started, it was already, we were feeling nostalgic. So yeah, those okay. what I feel now, you know, <laughs> all these years later. Um, and probably the straight answer is we got more money doing it ourselves yes <laughs> it's,
0: yeah 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 it's, it's you nuts. just
1: you know you take you take all of it rather than you know a certain percentage
0: yes rather than 60 40 mm. minus another fee for tickets and minus yeah 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 no, it's, not, it's
1: not somewhere you come to make a huge amount of money is it but, no right like, but that's not why you do it it's just you know it's the experience of being part of this city and performing here and it's just coming back to do it i've just i've just been questioning why i haven't been doing it because i'm just enjoying it so much you know just the whole experience of just walking around my hometown again, even just that, even just being wrapped up in this place that I forgot and I loved so much, you know. And uh,
0: why? So why pretty... such a big gap?
1: What? What? Else, I what don't. What really else know. have you been doing? Well, yeah, I just wasn't performing. I sort of gave up performing for many years, um, and sort of did writing and producing and stuff like that. Um, and then I got asked to do a show called Scott Squad, which is up here in Scotland on BBC One Scotland, and. Um, which is a semi-improvised show about the Scottish police force. And I just find myself enjoying it. I was right in the middle of a take, and I hadn't really done much improvising before. So you get little scenarios, you know, you don't get a script. It's okay. just, you, this is what's happening in the scene, and and go with it. And I was halfway through going, why did I give up performing this? is just actually such fun. Um, so I slowly began to get back into it. And then... That character I was doing in Scott Squad took off. It sort of be- it became quite. Um, well, the show was very popular in Scotland, and uh, all the different characters were. And so they asked me if I'd do on a- one night at the Glasgow Comedy Festival. That was two years ago. So then you pull together a show to do an hour and a half. Of the Kings in Glasgow, and for one night, and you think, well, we should really. Do it a bit more and get it out. So I thought, well, it's a perfect time to, um, to 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 come back to Edinburgh
0: with that character, Cameron Mikkelsen. Cameron
1: Mikkelsen, chief chief commissioner. Yeah.
0: Um. It's well. <laughs> uh-huh. I so I absolutely love the show. And something mm. that I became because it, it's it's half, it's <clears throat> not quite half enough. Slightly more of him. Yeah. And, and a set from McGlashan. And a set from McGlashan, for from which people Absolute. yeah. yeah. absolutely. Um, something that really struck me. Two seconds in was... I mean, I was definitely... Uh, yeah. I, was, I was maybe the youngest member of the audience so I'll get on for that, but it was an incredibly yeah. local crowd. It was obviously yeah, kind yeah. of a Scott squad uh, crowd. Yeah, yeah. And... Um, I was struck by how many of the in jokes I felt like I was getting just yeah, yeah. on rhythm. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was kind of retroactively <laughs> yeah, yeah. working out what jokes must have meant. Not yeah. just you know the Glasgow School of Art fire, for example, yeah. which yeah, s- yeah. sensitively handled very funnily. Yes, done. Uh,
1: twice. Both characters yeah, with it. Right, let's really have a go at that hilarious episode. Yeah. Just, just,
0: just, but um, but I, I felt like I felt so kind of wrapped up in it. It was this incredibly warm yeah. show. Everyone was on side, everyone was sort of getting all the references, and I ended up feeling like I was getting yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot more of the references that I was getting, yeah, yeah. just because it was so well written. Yeah. The other thing that really struck me is what a kind of virtuoso performance it was. I see a lot of okay. sketch comedy, yeah. I see a lot of character comedy, but this character is so firmly... Yeah, you or the character is firmly embedded in you, or yeah. vice versa. And I was like, "Oh, I'm watching an actual proper actor." Oh, well, that's nice do you know of me you mean? Say yeah. so. <laughs> do you know what I mean? R- properly yeah. painting pictures with words, properly yeah. kind of. I mean, I don't. I interview comedians, not actors, for yeah, the most yeah. part. Yeah, I don't know that I quite have the vocabulary for it, but it was just note perfect. Oh, great! Well,
1: thanks. That's, that, I'm glad you say that. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it's a he's a fun character to play, um, <laughs> and because it's improvised, because we do so much improvising. I'm quite comfortable in that character. So I know how he thinks, I know how he walks now, I just know. So when things begin to go awry, you can just start improvising and follow it round. I yeah. wonder
0: if that's it, because yeah.
1: because you are, yes, you have such a facility him. for yeah.
0: improv- playing with people in, in the audience. Yeah, yeah, completely. But yeah. not in a sort of stagey way where we felt yeah. like he always does this, just in a very yeah. lim- limber kind of a way.
1: Yeah, 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 that's good. I said you say as well about the references, of my kids were, they might even have been in the same night you were in, two of my children. I have twins so who've seen little bits of it on um, online on Scott Squad and, and Facebook. And weirdly, some of it has a life on you know the BBC Scotland website and Facebook. And actually, my daughter got sent a clip from a friend okay. going, oh, you must see this guy <laughs> playing a blizzard. <blister laughs> and I said, goes, my dad. Um, but they were in, they said exactly the same, that they didn't get some of the Scottish mm. references, you know, where's Gart Cosh and, and yeah. who's this and who's that. But we talked about it afterwards. Going, it's the same that we all used to an obsession was watching The Simpsons when they were younger, and, you know, you don't get every reference to some obscure little thing in America, some show, but you you understand it's a joke because it's written so well, and, you know, the type of joke that you're dealing with, it's not a leap to, you know...
0: He's... Mickelson is a really archetypal character, Mm. I felt like. I mean, it's not simply the incompetent boss, although that's kind of an element of it. But I, I suppose, what are the things for you that kind of drive the character? What are the main... Um, kind of touchstones of that personality.
1: Well, it's it's right back to, and I can't remember who first said it, and people always quote it about comic characters, that thing about the gap between who you are and who you think you are.
0: Okay. I think,
1: I can't remember who said it, but it's a very, I think it's a great, it's a great handle on, comedy lies in the gap between who the character is and who the character thinks he is. And the gap, the bigger the gap, <clears throat> the funnier the character. And the gap, And Mikkelsen is is vast because he believes he's a truly great leader and, of course, is just incompetent. So he's very Trumpian in that aspect. But, again, that's what I think people, I think annoys people on the right in America is how funny people find Trump because he's so, because he's, his belief in himself is so misplaced. Yes, you know, yes. and, he, and it, you can see that it absolutely frustrates the hell out of him that people don't take yeah, him that's, seriously. Yes, that's true. It drives true. him crazy. And that's that's Mickelson. So he can never be wrong, which is also very good. It's always somebody else's fault. His plans are always ill thought out. And so he's just got all these kind of classic sitcom character tropes, really even though Scott Squad is not a sitcom, it's a mm. it's a sketch show and it's a mockumentary as well. Um so yeah, that that that's what it is. That's what it is about him. Um, he's his opinion of himself is, is wildly misplaced.
0: How much of his character is from you, and how mm. much of it is from the scenarios and the situations presented to you? In the very beginnings of Meekles, were you writing uh, the scenarios as well as playing? Uh, the no, part? no, no. Joe
1: Hewlett um, created the show, and then the Rab Christie is the producer, and Noddy Davidson is uh, the director, and they all write, and uh, I write as well. Mm-hmm. But the, um, the, the process for the show is and when we started, I, I, I was just given the scenarios, and so I wouldn't have any input in writing at all. But my input in writing became in, improvising it. So then you're actually writing it. So some of the stuff you make up, and then that just goes straight in. Um, but then the, the live show is more written. So I've I've written chunks of it, then they've written chunks of it. So it's a kind of combination. So what happens, of course, like anything, is once they start, they might think, okay, the character's A, B, and C, and I take A, B, and C, but then I added D, and F, and they go, actually, well, we like D, and F. We'll go further down that. Mm-hmm. So then their writing becomes more to where I've taken the character, and I my playing of the character goes to more where they're writing. So it always... Yes. It all meets in the middle.
0: Um, Are there ever frustrations along the way? Are there ever things that you improvise that then get cut on the basis there? Oh, completely, yeah, yeah. yeah. What sort of, if not decisions, what sort of things have arisen that that then didn't suit the
1: vision? It's stuff where I go too far in in going down the silly route, going down the stupid route, going down the Don and Georgie type. Oh, I've found this image amusing or I've found this... Uh, this idea strange and actually that, that so the tension lies between the production group, we're gonna make this as believable as we possibly can. The people watching them will go, Oh hang on, this is this a real kind okay. thing? And I'm going and I'm just gonna do a very silly thing that amuses me. And I can always tell, because a lot of my stuff is interview, so the director sits and asks me questions and I just okay. answer back. And I can always tell when, no, <laughs> when he's given up yeah. <laughs> yeah and it's just going why is he doing this because he knows that i'm not going to put this in the show he yeah. <laughs> knows that i'm a perfect perfect example actually and there was a big fight and we eventually got a version of the sketch one of the sketches is a student is making a film and he's from the you know the glasgow school of film and he turns up and he's asked my character the chico to do one line the zombie invasion is now a Whatever I can't even remember, mm-hmm. but it's something about it. And of course, my character decides to to elaborate. I think my, you know, I think there should be you no, know, there should be more about this. I should. That's not how I would do it. So I'm just playing with it, and then it's just the sketch is just hard cut of me something. why don't I do it as a southern lawyer you know, and start my, my do declare it a zombie thing and then what about a limp he should have a limp and I remember so clearly seeing in Naughty's face I went no wait a minute I've got a better idea he's got two limps
0: <laughs> and started
1: walking with two limps and uh, just he uh, just throwing his script aside and just you're wasting everybody's time we're never going to broadcast that that's,
0: I oh, that's a really good example because yeah. something I noticed in uh, Mikkelsen was, um, was from, from the live show mm. that I saw uh, was the his uh, obsession with firemen. Yes. seems very similar to me. Well, not in a negative way, yeah. but it seemed to have echoes of Mr. Don. You were Mr. Don, yeah, were you? Yeah, I you're... was. No, I was no, Mr. George. No, you were George, I, George. Like, I can George. hear you yeah, yeah, saying Don. Yeah, 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 fine. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the, the echoes in Mr George's hatred of the Swiss yes do you know what I mean like, it's a similar kind yeah, of, it's just, a very Jack Doherty tone to yes. go Jesus he's fine and just kind of yeah, yeah. belligerently have a go at someone on the grounds of almost yeah. nothing
1: uh, nothing yeah <laughs> and, and also funnier because they're really admirable brave people <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, 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 far exactly.
1: braver than he is yeah. you know <laughs> and for him to just believe that actually they just sit around doing nothing all day playing Scrabble just seems to be an amusing idea but uh, yeah sort of little obs- obsessive hatred I haven't seen that connection but you're right yeah and actually so long. I've done Mr. Don and Mr. George's book because, as we've discussed, 25 years that I'd actually forgotten that, yeah, he just hates the Swiss, doesn't he? And that occurs in a few episodes, doesn't yes. it? I think he hates yes. the Swiss. And yeah, the,
0: there's an echo, like Snow is mentioned at one point, yeah, and it's, it's like it? we'd get the grit on <laughs> oh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, this is Jack. Hasn't he got a wonderful voice? I love it. <laughs> I love it. It's such a joy to listen back to this. Uh, whilst um, uh, reviewing the episode and the interview. His voice is just so rich and boomy and wonderful. I think I'm doing a decent job of managing to actually ask him questions rather than just sit there grinning at him. But um, let me know, info at comedianscomedian.com, if you have any suggestions for guests coming up on the show. And any other business, I am trying now, now that I'm not writing a new show for next year's festival... Um, I've done five stand up hours in a row, and it's time to take a little bit of a break from scribbling. So, I'm trying to focus a bit more on the podcast. So, there has never been a better time to suggest to me your uh, things, people I should be chasing up, recommendations for stand up you think I might be unaware of. Um, and uh, and also, if you are a member of the Insiders Club, which you too can join at uh, comedianscomedian.com slash insiders, and for a regular donation of £2 a month or more if you fancy it, uh, you can be part of the inner circle of this podcast and you can pitch to me suggestions for projects to put on the secret private podcast uh, that is only available to members of the Insiders Club. Currently, there's a load of stuff on there. There's extra content from episodes with James Acaster, Mike Kaplan, Rose Matafeo, loads of uh, 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 oh, there's there's as well there's the the whole of the um, the as yet unreleased Alice Fraser live episode which we did at a, a Comcom meet up where thirty or forty of us got together saw Alice's show and then uh, we all did a live podcast with her and that's not been released yet on the main feed but uh, insiders can get to it already as it's on the private podcast so uh feel free to jump in there comedians slash insiders other things i mean it gets the middle of the section of the show i don't think jack is plugging anything particularly at the moment and i'm not i'm not trying to make you come to a live thing i think in fact we've sold out for our live podcast with no such thing as a fish at the london podcast festival this sunday the 16th of september um, if you manage to get tickets for that, I'll see you there. I've been in that room and it's a glorious 400-seater thing. And I, I, I'm pretty sure it's sold out. You might be in luck. You might be might be able to get something up in the, uh, the circle. Or there are some kind of balcony seats, I noticed, behind the stage where you can look down on the action. Those are greyed out online and I don't know if it's because they're sold or uh, because they were unavailable for sale. But if you're someone up there, please don't be a sniper, all right? There's a love. So, um, also, I'm at Wellin, at the Barn Theatre in Wellin. You can uh, have a Google of that. And I'm interviewing Garrett Millerick, who is a fantastic stand-up. I've been enjoying watch. Uh, He's one of those guys. He started a few years after I did, so he was someone that I encountered at gigs when he was a newer act. And it's been great watching him turn into a really powerful comedy presence. His show Sunflower at the festival this year was uh, really, really good. It was one of those ones where, well, well, I'm sure we'll talk to him about this. I'm doing a live one with him at the Barn Theatre in Wellin this Saturday, so uh, jump onto that if you can, if you're in the area, and then we'll be releasing that one on the podcast fairly soon. He really had one of those shows this year where he, he, I think he was aware, he was like, oh, I've got one of those shows this year that people are talking about and, and uh, loads of comics are coming to see it and there's buzz and stuff like that, you know, like a like kind of a breakthrough show maybe. So good luck to him for that, and I look forward to talking to him soon. Do get in touch with me at Pod on Twitter at Comcompod on Instagram. Oh God, I'm learning how to use Instagram, and I'm not very good at it, but I'm learning. I'm trying to make an effort. This is the this is the year to do it, and uh, I will be back to chat to you for a bit of a postamble uh, after the show. So uh, after the conclusion of this interview. So let's get back to Jack Doherty. Let's flip briefly into your time as an interviewer. You were the you were the face of Channel Five, five nights a week. You were the you were the vibrantly coloured face. I remember those vibrantly coloured
1: strips. You were all over the country. I was on billboards. That's the weird thing, My First son was think He was three or four, and there was a drive home from the theatre out to where I lived in West London, and we passed about ten of these billboards of my massive face and just everywhere. And he was sitting in his little bucket seat in the back (laughs) on the drive home going, Daddy! Daddy! (laughs) And I thought, this is what it must be like to be Saddam Hussein's son. (laughs) (laughs) You know, just whatever. as if your dad doesn't figure highly enough Mm. a presence in your world when you're three or four to have billboards off him all over town. It (laughs) must have been a weird little thing. I keep meaning to talk to him about it, see if he's got any recollection of that.
0: Was that Was that the kind of peak of your if not your
1: fame but your exposure it was the peak of my exposure yes um I mean I've never really I've never been famous but um but in terms of just people going oh it's that bloke yeah because I'm used to oh you're the book from absolutely you're the book of has gone. I really love comedy and can we talk about it so it's a very specific kind Uh, of people who are interested in what you're doing rather than oh you I saw your face face somewhere yeah so that's a different kind of of weird fame, but also it was Channel Five. So I mean, it wasn't a you know there was there was not a big viewership or anything. So it was still very for our younger set.
0: listeners. That was a big special thing that there was yeah, going to be a fifth was, channel. I know <laughs>
1: five channels, young listeners. When I started, there were three. <laughs> that's how old I am. Yeah. Did
0: you did you feel a lot of pressure at that time to be the face the, of a of a new channel launching? Did it feel? Did you? I suppose in that situation, I might imagine one would either feel, God, how am I going to cope with this? Or, finally, I get what I deserve. There'll be somewhere on that
1: spectrum. Yeah, no, in the middle of that, certainly not not, not the second. No, it was, hindsight, having my life again, it was an intriguing thing to try, but we should have done it on really low-key. We did a pilot in a tiny little studio with 50 seats, and it was much more lo-fi and sort of dicking around. And actually, we should have done that show. Because, but Channel Five wanted it to be this big. We, we we're a new channel, and you might remember there was we're going to have a. Stripped and stranded, there's going to be a, a film at 9 o'clock and every night. And yes. of course, but they didn't have the rights to really any films. <laughs> okay. So there were shit films every night at 9 o'clock. And then yes. there was going to be a chat show. So it it needed to be. It needed to look like it was a big, glitzy, glamorous thing. It's that old okay. thing, you going to tell a lie, tell a big one. We're a big, proper channel, but they, it couldn't be because it didn't have the reach it didn't have the money. But in fact, our little um, show, I think, would have worked very well in front of a, a low fi yes. scratchy audience rather than having to go to the theatre and try and make it a big live entertainment show because we didn't have the money, you didn't have the guests back then. You know, it was just, it was very difficult. I think we literally, a couple of producers went out to shadow one of the American shows just to see how they ran a, a, a five nights a week show. I think it was Letterman they went to see, and just came back panicked. <laughs> they found out that literally Letterman's entertainment budget, i.e., on getting the guests, town cars, and sandwiches, mm. was what we were making an entire week show for. You oh know, so it was God. just, it was impossible. It was crazy, 45 minutes for Tuppence Um But it was kind of a fun thing to have attempted and fun thing to meet lots of your heroes. And stuff.
0: And why did they, why you? Because I remember at the time seeing that yeah. going, it's that guy from Absolutely. What, why, why? is he <clears> being <throat> a presenter suddenly? What was the... Yeah,
1: yeah, why me? Exactly. Um, I had presented Edinburgh Nights from the festival. Okay. So I'd only ever done comedy. And then Edinburgh Nights asked me to... Um, do a show with emma freud and she would do the serious interviews and i would kind of go out and do pieces and just meet people and kind of dick around a little bit and um and somebody saw that and said oh well why don't we get him to so we made the pilot and i it, i kind of just slipped into it without really thinking uh you know you kind of it's like you lose your feet at the top of a hill and you you know you, you're falling before you know what you're and say like, oh okay i'll do it you know without even thinking of it and um there was a part of me that thought it would be like GMTV that we'd all be sacked within a month and paid off. <laughs> so it would be a great earner for me. <laughs> but they insisted on keeping it going for two years. <laughs> and I did have to, I was counting the days quite quite early in actually. You? I was thinking, yeah, well no, this is not for me. Um, because, because just because I'm not performer enough, I don't think, to do that sort of thing every night to to get jacked up, get the adrenaline going. I think the great um, chat show hosts that we've had like Graham's Gray and Jonathan yes. and all and um, I thought Frank Skinner was really good when he was doing it they're all really close on screen to who they are in life they're heightened versions of that person yes. but they're not whereas I had to sort of I'm not a very hey everybody it's showbiz sure. I'm much more a writer and a, maybe a character actor a little bit and so I just f- f- you know I was having to act the part
0: of, of, yourself. of, host, of myself, yourself as a chat exactly. show host. Yeah. And I couldn't
1: really, yeah, it just didn't feel me. Um,
0: and do you, think, do you think the public ever realised that, or was that just a sort of a thing I internally? think they
1: probably wouldn't, if you asked the public, they probably wouldn't go, oh, it's the problem with that. <laughs> they but they would feel it. You know what it's like performing. Yes. Okay. An audience will sense that something's wrong. Hmm. And I think they would have sensed that that, that, that it's a little bit forced, that this is not being natural. Mm-hmm. I think, and and also we wanted to do shit that we just found me and the producers found funny you know, in a kind of Don and George way we wanted to take the chat show and just mess with it and but it made people uncomfortable we kept getting the, re- the research back John kept going back to us going look we've done the research and everybody just says can't you just have a nice conversation <laughs> <laughs> and we're, going, no, we're so bored of doing that yeah. um, so we do things I remember famously we'd have Martin Clunes on and I said to Martin, okay just whatever I ask you just so I don't want to talk about that <laughs> So men behaving badly don't want to talk about that. Yes, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about that. And then we'll just sit in silence for a minute and a half. <laughs> and then I've got signed to just raise a slight vo- a volume on a tap dripping. Yeah. And we just sat and stared at each other. Now to me, that was hilarious. And I thought we should—that's the whole show should be this. Yes. Yeah. And uh, but, but that's more sort yeah, of eleven
0: p.m. BBC exactly,
1: Two. <laughs> yeah. exactly. And the audience were just saying, "Go no, this is oh no, oh, it's God. all gone off the rails." And, you know, and also going, but we want to hear Martin Clemens talk about yeah, men yeah. which, of course, you do. <laughs> and if I was in the audience, I would want that. Yes. I would want to hear him talking about that. But when you're doing it, you just want to dick with it. So, um, so, so we you did. Said you said and the,
0: you and the producers were on yeah, the same page with that. You yeah, wanted to yeah, yeah, do something
1: yeah. anarchic. Uh, yeah, we, me and the producers and the writers, because <laughs> we had some incredible, you know, we had, um, you know, um, Cecil and Riley and uh, Armstrong and Bain were doing mm, writing for mm, it back in mm. the day. So we had some great writers. Um but no, they were all on the same page. It was the—I uh, think it was the uh, slightly above that pay grade. that were just a bit. Can you get to stop doing this? Um, so yeah, but it was—you know—it was—it was fun. And every now and again, once a week, perfect. That would be—it's a—it's a great job because then you—you just—you'd you'd have a laugh. You'd have—you'd yeah. have time to do it properly, and you could—you could mess around. But you know, the ones I liked was if it, when Eddie Hazard was on or if I can Bobber on. Yeah, it felt yeah. my. Territory, so I could just mess with them. I found it harder to engage with someone from a soap opera or something because I just didn't quite have access to their world to the same extent.
0: So, just going back to your territory when you when you started out, can you just sketch for us the the beginnings of Absolutely was that absolutely the first thing, or was it the was it yeah the Bodgers,
1: the four Scottish guys, and Absolutely, me, Murray, and Pete and Gordy were in a group called the Bodgers, um, which we started uh, in nineteen eighty. Actually, at the Edinburgh Festival Fringe, where we are today, uh, but and we were, were, were
0: there a lot of other sketch groups like yeah. college sketch groups, college sketch time? groups, yeah, sure.
1: college sketch groups. So we were all at school together in, in different years, and we'd all done the you know the school review. We were the you know we were the funny people in inverted commas in, in our respective years, and they were a little bit older than me, and they wanted to do a show. And there was two other guys who then dropped out of the group, but they set it up. They just wanted to do one show at the Edinburgh fringe because we were all fans of when you grow up in edinburgh you suddenly become aware of this thing called the Mm festival and if you're interested in comedy you suddenly go oh right and this is particularly back then before the internet before anything before comedy clubs you'd go okay well comedy is on television it's famous people it's john Cleese doing faulty tires it's morcom and wise it's whoever and there's nothing else so it's a world that's just away from your experience and suddenly you go oh wow there's these people who are not famous who are just at college And there was a lot of college reviews. It was Oxford and Cambridge. Mm. So when I was at school, I went to see um, a Footlights with Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie, uh, an Oxford review with Angus Deaton and Phil Pope and all that lot, and Rowan Atkinson and Richard Curtis. Mm. So these were really great shows. But, you know, of course, there were only 19 or 20 of these guys, and I was about, whatever, 15, 14. And suddenly you go, okay, well, that's a possibility. We can do something here uh, in a world of no comedy clubs. Uh, so we formed this group and, and, and went and said, "Okay, we're going to be the people who are not because there's no presence from Edinburgh. Mm. Everybody just came from outside. And We thought, well, wouldn't it be good to?" That was kind of our our selling point. We're the we're the local group.
0: Yeah. You know? Okay. Yeah. Um, you
1: don't need these Oxbridge types. You can come and see us. Um, and we got an article in Scotland at the back of that. And then I think we sold out that first run right from the get go. So we never we never had that struggle actually as the Bodgers. Yes. You know. Struggle would come later because it's just we were word got out and people came to see us, um, so that's how we started. And that was the four Scottish guys, and we did uh, f- five years, I think, eighty to eighty-five, mm-hmm. and it just got bigger and we got better. I and mean, then we got nominated for the Perry twice, lost it to a comedy brass band in the first year, <laughs> which still, still, really, really, really pains me to say it. <laughs> Comedy Breastback, but then Theatre to Complicity won it in 85. Yeah, and which is kind
0: still, of fair enough. <laughs> fair enough.
1: I, literally, I saw that show nine times over that run. Jeez, I which show it. was it? Well, actually they won for more bigger snacks now, but they were also okay. doing A Minute Too Late, okay. which was Simon McBurney, a, a story about death and grieving, and but, oh, man, it was unbelievably good. It was just crazy. Um, it's,
0: it's so kind of exciting and tantalising for me yeah. as someone who's been coming here 25 yeah, years yeah. to hear, oh, even when I was three years old, you uh, know, yeah. in, in 1980,
1: it was all still happening. Yeah, there were yeah. sketch
0: groups, there was rivalry. There yeah, was, yeah. You know?
1: there was all of that. And it was much more sketch groups. It was pre-stand-up. So Stand-up hadn't even yeah, really it happened. it hadn't really happened. The guys, uh, the comic strip guys were just, you know, kicking off. I think Rick and Aid were in town one year we were. Doing it. So there was a little bit that moved towards that. But like the Perry, when we were up, it was us, the sketch show group, the Hank Wangford band, a right. Comedy Country and Western band, the Frank Chickens, two Japanese oh, yeah, and, okay. uh, yeah. famous performers, um, Paul B. Davis, who was a storyteller, when uh, Dave Cohen was part of his group. Okay. Yeah, and um, the Comedy Brass band, Theatre to Complicity, which were much were just, you know, proper. Theatre now. I mean, they're kind of yes. the establishment, but back then they were out of call Jack Lecoq. So they were kind of Euro clowns. Okay. So it was all that. Even back then, the the, yeah. the
0: the running joke at the moment is yeah. the, the comedians going off to Gollier who yeah, yeah. In
1: Lecoq, and you know that's exactly. The well, well, that's of, um, where they came. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. That's where they were. Can they I were at um, Golier Yeah.
0: And there must have been. I mean, I have no idea if you'd be no. able to estimate how many shows were in town. Like Because yeah. it feels, in the time I've been coming, yeah. it has grown yeah. exponentially. It's Apparently it's 3,000
1: now. Something like that. Hundreds, but not thousands. I would, yeah. I would imagine there would be yeah, three or 400. Something like that.
0: And were there were there kind of prototypical versions of characters that then went on to be an absolutely uh, in Absolutely? In the
1: Bodgers? Yeah, not really. It was more pure sketch comedy, not character sketch comedy. Okay. So it was more, here's an idea. Here's whatever it was, you know. And, Here's and I, Macbeth done in 30 seconds or whatever, you know, a sketch. So I don't think we had any recurring characters at all. And then we did a radio show, one series of a radio show. Um, we got lots of complaints from the south of England that, that we can't tell these people apart. They all sound the uh, same, what's going on. Is this one Scotsman or 20 of them? I can't, <laughs> I can't work it out. <laughs> and, uh, so then we got we hooked up with Morena Banks and John Sparks. Okay. Cornwall and Wales, to keep the Celtic thing going. And we were put in touch. we met them on the circuit, anyway. And But Alan Nixon, our producer, sort of got us all together and said, what about you guys working together? Yes,
0: so we did one that, and that's a issue. cunning angle.
1: Yeah, yeah, cunning angle, exactly. We were kind of the non-metropolitan crew. And we all s- shared a, a similar, if not a, identical, sense of humour, which was, by this time, driven more towards character, slightly surreal uh, non-political, non-television uh, parody, not referencing anything kind of uh, c- cultural at the end of the 80s, which had been a very political yes. uh, time. And we'd I'd spent a lot of time writing for Spitting Image, so I was part of that world as well. But our natural instinct was towards slightly more to the character-driven surreal thing, which was just which was kind of starting in the late 80s, you know, we were doing it. And then, you know... Bigger acts like Vic and Bob obviously just mm-hmm. came flying through the League of Gentlemen. So it all became a little bit more of that kind of stuff.
0: Is, um, is there are there any elements of that type of comedy that you feel you are, if not responsible for, that you particularly popularized? I feel like every kind of if not every generation, um, but someone every every team kind of puts something into the pot yeah. and goes
1: on to take form in Yeah, I don't know because you can't you can never tell yourself. Sure. If you've, if you've done that. But I think there might be a little bit of an influence in that return to a, a vague surreality, a vague kind of nonsensical thing, because all you can tell is when you meet performers, who go, oh, I really liked your show, and yeah. that influenced it, like the League of Gentlemen Boys, said, oh, yeah, we yeah. really liked your show. And um, people like that, and, you know, the Mighty Boosh or something, you know, referenced it. And so you can only but i think it's just in the it's in the ether isn't it like everybody starts suddenly
0: moving yes. one way
1: and then 5 years later it's a kind of lad culture men behaving badly kind of thing comes in and britpop and it just seems to all coalesce around yes. a particular it's movement. interesting when you say the league of gentlemen the 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 thi- it's almost the
0: palette is very similar. Yeah, yeah, from the, yeah. I remember, you know, sort of Frank Hovis, and mm. the, it was it was kind of grubby yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, living
0: rooms. Grubby yes. living rooms. <laughs> and, uh, and kind of stains on
1: the side exactly. of your mouth. <laughs> that, that,
0: that kind of aesthetic. Yeah,
1: yeah, that kind of aesthetic. Exactly that. And the League of much darker. Sure. I think you took it into, you know, kind of uh, areas that I loved. I remember seeing the pilot, go, oh, this is just perfect. Yeah. Loving it from the off. Um, but you're right, yes, it was in that kind of world, a, a beigeness, a, grayness and oddness what's happening behind those curtains in you know in somebody's in somebody's living room you know life is a bit stranger yes. than you think
0: and is that is it was that a reflection of the kind of non metropolitanness that it was a bit more that we come from further away places yeah, I think and so. bungalows and you know yeah. villages
1: yeah yeah exactly that i think you know that you even something as silly and as stupid as Stony Bridge, you know, just being non-metropolitan, just became this, you know, It's just an an odd group of people living in an odd town. There's something... But that could have been Yorkshire, you know. It could have been anywhere. It was just that kind of... There is something I always... I
0: I often wonder if, from the point of view of an audience, from the point of view of Mm. a young person at home, 14 years old, watching it on BBC Two, whether there is something faintly heroic about people (laughs) who've managed to make comedy out of the stuff that's just out the window. Because it's so easy to go, oh, glitzy American stand-up, London, the city, you know, metropolitan comedy, yeah, and then there's actually something if you are growing up in Cornwall and someone is speaking yes. about things that matter to you.
1: Yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah. And I say I think, this to
0: someone who grew up in Levington Spa, and it was a bit like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, a bit, yeah, there's
1: a bit of this about. <laughs> yeah, and I think uh, particularly Moen and John had that kind of access to those kinds of characters that they'd mm. seen in Wales and in Cornwall. Mm. You know, lots of Moen characters like the mad artist in the attic and people she'd come across in St. Ives. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, and people just that you see in the street, and that's what That's what's great about finding that. Like McGlashan being given to me in a pub, The George, in in London. Really? Just a rambling, you know, wild-haired drunk Scotsman, you know, coming up to me and saying, see what you're sitting on there, son, the fucking... The chair we invented the chair <laughs> genuinely genuinely and I just said thank you very much I love that and and, and just took it from there. You may have invented the chair, but I just invented yeah, you. you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> thank you. I could track them down. And for people and who aren't familiar you. with McGlashan, I think yeah. probably the the if you search
0: on YouTube for McGlashan cycling away from the border, yeah. that's the kind of yes. keynote of that character That's the keynote
1: exactly. When you could say certain words, that would be frowned upon now. Yeah. in comedy. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. It's exactly that thing where you go these. The, uh, I'm I'm not. I'm not much positive, and, and this show is about people—the types of people that I know, the smaller kind of stranger, odder people—and also when you get your own show, like we did in Absolutely. And it's weird to think that we got it because we kept writing a script for Channel Four, and they would go, "Yeah, we like this, but we're not—I don't—we can't really see it." And so we eventually just said, and "This is like the kind of you know the the the, the brazenness of youth in a way," <laughs> and that we just went, "Okay, well, why don't we come into the office and we'll perform it for you." So we came in and did it in front of the Channel 4 executives. Imagine that, a small crowd, three of them. Oh, my God. And we said, so this is how it is. And, of course, afterwards you understand because, you know, it'll it'll be, you know, John Sparks hums Greensleeves and does a strange dance. <laughs> so, we've got so to get in the room with you so we've you We've got to get it. in the room because as a piece of script, yeah. maybe the Channel 4 executives are going, I'm not sure we can actually <laughs> commit to the million pounds for this series based on John Sparks' Will Be Funny Dancing to Greensleeves. Yeah. But then you go, there you go. Now, of course, we, ha- we could have done a big, maybe we should have done a show in front of an audience as well. But they said yes, and we went, OK, bang, here it is. And um, we got fired up and we, we went for it. And they said, "Yeah, let's go for it," um, which is crazy way of thinking. <laughs> you know, that's how a television program got made. Yeah. But that was it. Um, so try that, kids. Bars the uh, door down.
0: There was um, there was an element to Absolutely as well, which was kind of um, uh, animation. Yes, one of one of the things that I remember, like one of my kind yeah. of uh, one of the things I think of when I think about you is the I Don't Care song with the the, oh. the faces kind of replaced with cartoon faces. Yeah, yes, yes, yeah, yes. Kind of the ocean levels <clears throat> are yeah are rising.
1: Yeah, Triffic Company. Tim Triffic um, did the, the guys who uh, they did the. Um, you'll know their style from the credits of "Have I Got News for You." Yes, so those oh, go, go, animators. Of it is. Yes, yes, those animators. Um, and thinking back, there's two things that seem really odd. And again, the innocence of youth. Although we were in our twenties, we weren't that young. Um, was that we put in animation, and that we linked so much of the show by you know going from one sketch to another mm. in the most brazenly weird way that we could. And going well, I think Python have probably done this, you know. Yeah, yeah. And and going well, we don't care. Um, it's just a form. And interestingly, that we had reached the let's link all these sketches together, sort of independently. Um, because I was only seven when Python came out, so I knew Python through the records and not okay. I'd never seen it.
0: Okay.
1: Um, I'd seen a film, obviously. Yeah, that's the a, my, of, but my
0: introduction to it was records. Yeah, I really
1: I, so I I knew the silliness of the. Screen. Um. But we had done all these shows at the Edinburgh Fringe, and when we started, it was classic punchline blackout. You know, here lights up, here's the next <laughs> rummaging moving yeah, chairs, yeah. <laughs> who's striking the banana, all that kind of stuff. Um, and we got bored of that, so then we we, we gravitated to it by the end. Uh, Mr. Hargreaves did it, which was our eighty five show. Was what they all linked one into the other in a way that was you know it was based on a play that went wrong, kind of. Um, so which is a good idea for a show. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, did you see our show? Um, and, uh, yes, yeah, so we'd, we'd kind of come to that conclusion anyway that if you're going to do a sketch, you'll link it together. Mm. Um, and actually, in the end, it didn't seem that people, people went, oh, yeah, well, okay, so what the Python did? Because actually, Spike Milligan had done it before Python, so it's kind of, it's just an interesting way to, to,
0: mm.
1: to do that form. And I think maybe in a good way, we're a bit more, oh, that's been done. In Britain, rather than, oh, you're just doing that particular type of genre. It's certainly yes. like in, it, when it, Whenever anybody initially attempts a, a chat show, it's all always guys sitting behind a desk asking questions, it's been done. Whereas in America, it's just, are you good at doing that type of show? Yes, yes, enough. You know, there's
0: enough profusion of stuff that exactly. it becomes a genre. It just becomes a yeah. genre. So
1: yeah. like yeah. people don't go, oh, he's, he's sitting behind a desk telling me what happened today in the news. I've seen that. Yeah. You know, it sort of doesn't really matter. Um, but yeah, the cartoons, that was, yeah. So, yeah, Tim and Tobin. Tobin, may he rest in peace. Tobin's gone. But, um, yeah, we just... Yeah, we just decided not to worry that these things, they might have echoes of other shows. Yeah. So,
0: and where, in the similar way, is there is there a kind of similar origin to McGlashan in Mr. Don and Mr. George? Or were those just your silliest selves?
1: They were just our silliest selves. Because I was in a double they, act, not at the uh, time, okay. but later.
0: I was in like a street performing yeah, double yeah, act. Okay. And we, we drew a lot of... I, I think we were mostly influenced by um, the Dangerous
1: Brothers. Yeah, you know, yeah. Initially, yeah, which, of course. And when I say Perfect. influenced by, we yeah. was
0: sixteen. Our first show was just a direct lift
1: to the street. <laughs> <laughs> and we were like, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but but um, no, it's good. You, everybody does that. Everybody starts with the other people's stuff and then you find your own. And, but so I, think I, I think I
0: yeah. think I could recognise that you and Murray, yeah. as as Mr Don and Mr George, it was almost like you were you. were put I'll put a suit on. Yeah, there we yeah, go. Yeah. And now I can yeah. just be Daft.
1: Yeah, exactly. I I mean, initially. It was just a way of doing silly kind of sketch ideas, uh, maybe word ideas or whatever, that that didn't really have a character. So we thought, well, if we give them to these characters,
0: yes, okay. then
1: it will become a world. you know. So if you have a stupid notion like coming back with 100, having bought 100 razors because there were three for two, so it's a bargain. Yeah, so I've, yeah. But I've saved so much money by spending more money. You know, you go, well, Okay, well, you give that to these two characters, it becomes a world and you put them living together and then you you do all of this. But I think the influence would be both that there were both sort of versions of our fathers as a lot of um, a lot of our comedy was Okay, like Mr. Nice as well from the from Uh the from the uh, absolutely was based on that kind of. That kind of strange Edinburgh authority thing. It's coming full circle back to Mikkelsen again, but you know,
0: Mister Nice was he the character that said "There's all things original"? Was that? Yes, Beryl yes, lady? he, yeah, he gotcha. spoke, okay. yeah, yeah, from you the that...
1: authorities. Yeah, yeah. he spoke <laughs> in this strange kind of way, and that was that was that whole character was just based on a tiny little moment where my father, I would notice, um, would be just slightly posture on the phone. Yes, that's all it was, you know. I'll go and book our halls. I'm inquiring about my vacation. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, and, so, and so that tiny little moment led to a whole character. Then you go, okay, well, let's just have a patriarch who's go, who dresses his kids in exactly the same way, who forces them to talk at the same time. You know, he was a fascist, basically. Mm. Um, again, that's a kind of like gentlemanly world. Yeah, it really is thinking about it now. Nice yes, kind of, old, you know, but, in a, but a sillier version of that. Um, so Don and Georgia, just, and then the ideas would come for them. And the status thing, obviously my character suddenly began to have more status and he had less status and all that kind of stuff. Um, But it it did begin just as an excuse to do silly ideas that didn't have a home.
0: It's interesting you say that because that's I think that's what makes it so quotable. Mm. When um, when the Fringe Guide was released this year, there's yeah. a, a Facebook group associated yeah. with this podcast, a few thousand okay. people in it, and um, I said, oh, I've seen Jack Doherty's going to be yeah. here. And the amount of quotes underneath the yes. post of like, uh, would you like milk or no milk? And you know, you can run yeah, but you can't yeah. hide your legs. You can and all of these just lovely yeah. little sectional things that it would, now you're saying it, it would be kind of impossible to get a whole sketch out yes. of that idea, but to them as a there. sort of a grab yes. bag for you know, like a chum bucket, hear yeah, all the bits and completely. just let them do all and the And that's
1: bits. what that sitcom was as well. We just th- unashamedly, we were just going to throw jokes as quickly as possible and no sense. It's not going to be any rationale. It's not going to be set in the real world. It's going to be, you know, unreal characters in the unreal world, the one thing that never works. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but we're going we're gonna to prove. <laughs> yeah. And, but, well, and, but weirdly, some people absolutely love that show. It's a, it's a weird one. Some people just pass them by completely, including Michael Grade, then head of Channel 4. Um, but I still meet people who who love it, who really, really love it. And, um, so it was, yeah, it was great fun, great fun doing it. But, um, I suppose
0: it gave me as a viewer, it,
1: it was sort of licensed to be silly. Yeah. I loved completely. how silly it was. Yeah. Because it, totally it did silly, seem
0: yeah. to have a consistent internal logic. Yeah. Even if the logic was, yeah, this is all just, it's, it's not madness. Yeah. It wasn't chaos, but it, it, yeah. it seemed sensible in its silliness. Yeah. Yeah. Somehow. And the plots
1: would have an internal logic. They yeah. Would, they would go through, but you could just go anywhere um with them all, all of these uh, are available to watch for free online I don't yes know online. i know <laughs> terrible or you can buy them on itunes <laughs> we'll get our 27 <laughs> pence royalties I'll, I'll
0: auction the vhs yeah, and yeah. give jack a pound yeah, now. <laughs>
1: Exactly. i'll sign it yeah make it less but yeah it's weird because i you do these shows and then of course you don't watch them again because you've done them and yeah 25 years 30 years go by um but you know, I know I know other people's comedy much better than I know my own comedy because 'cause I'll watch the things that I like again. I'll come sure. back, oh let's watch the Harry Sanders show again or whatever and um but you you're you're suddenly you'll be in a pub and someone just the other month came and said, I hope you have sufficient underpants. Yeah. And I just <laughs> I have to, you'll have to help me. You'll have yeah. to help me. I have no idea what you're you talking about. I'm assuming t- it's something I said 25 years ago in a sketch. But yeah. Um,
0: yeah. You just need to make sure that all of your catchphrases are broadly kind and yeah. endearing rather <laughs> yeah, than having yeah, exactly. people scream, get to Falkirk at you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly,
1: yeah. which also happened.
0: So when that show finished, mm. and that was that was after Absolutely had finished, yes. I know Absolutely has kind of... There was yeah. sort of live reunion shows. Were yes, there, I the, the
1: guys, I didn't join in those, but that okay. was, uh, yeah, radio shows. So they've done... Two, the other five have done two series, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think they're doing a third. I believe they are. Okay. Um, but, yeah.
0: And you weren't part of those because...
1: Yeah, I just didn't fancy it. Okay. You know, I just... It felt to me... Um, to, I just didn't want to go back over the old ground in, in exactly the same way, you know. Mm-hmm. Go back to do to do those characters in that setting within that group. To me, absolutely, you know, was just in my mind. It's that show that existed between 1993 and ninety three, and I sort of wanted to leave it there. Um, and I, I just, I mean, I don't. It's weird because I love it when things I like form. You know, I go, I'll go and see the specials or Pixies, you know, playing. And yeah. I think, oh, great, they've reformed. Yeah. Um, but I, I just, I just didn't feel comfortable doing it. Um, and so of course I worried I thought, oh is this the right decision maybe I should be doing it um, and I was just beginning to get into at that time I thought no I'm going to concentrate on the new stuff and, mm-hmm. and leave and, and, and leave the older stuff but then of course I'm now doing McGlashan which is an old character yeah. but it's in a different kind of content and, yes. you know, we kind of updated him for uh, Scotland in a Day which was the Channel 4 thing that went on the night of the referendum okay. that's why I okay. resurrected McGlashan it seemed, well, gotcha. now's the time Yes, with this fiercely here. nationalist exactly. kind of, and it, character. it's going to be so close. He's going to get so close to getting what he's dreamed of. This character like, which is an independence, Scotland, and I had the sense that it probably would just fall short, which comedically was going to be great for that character yes. because it would kill him. So,
0: given the kind of the the very deeply held political, uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know what the what the, the word is like how yeah. how much of a huge deal that was in Scotland. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, yeah. Did McGlashan, was there ever any concern that he might... I mean, was he funny enough that no side really was upset by you saying stuff? I think a lot of Scottish comics didn't express an opinion publicly. Yeah, yeah. Or they really did.
1: Yeah, you really had... I think, yeah, it was... The artistic community, yeah, was was very much a yes vote. And I do Mm. know people who were in the artistic community who were no, but they would never have admitted it. Yeah. It was like career suicide. And it was like... It did go crazy. It was like J.K. Rowling coming out and going, you know, she was going to vote no. And, you know, the cybernats just... Went at her, big time.
0: Cyber um, nationalists. Yes, yes. Cyber, yeah, ads, yes, cyber, cyber yeah. Um
1: But no, McGlashan is... Um, it, I, I think he's such an outlier that I don't think people are going, oh, this is a satire on, you know, real nationalism, or anything. He's, sure. he's so extreme. And in this show, I make it very clear that he's he's not associated with the SNP. He's less yes. the SNP because they're a bunch of idiots and yes. who aren't fighting every day for Indy Ref 2. Sure. So he's one of these guys wrapped in the flag, who who protests outside Parliament and sets mm-hmm. up a freedom camp. He's one of those guys. So uh, it's not people... I don't know. I mean, you'll always get someone who's going to go, how dare you? Mm-hmm. And I think maybe the how dare you speak about this comes more from, oh, oh you're living in London. What do you sure. know? Sure. I guess you might get a little bit of that. Um, but you can't... I mean, you know, if you start worrying about <laughs> what people are going to say about you on Twitter, then you just, you, you, you know... You just stop. Don't do that because there's no yes. point. There's no point. Yes, it's interesting. Just do what you like and just see what happens. I
0: think the um, I think probably comics who've started in the last ten years might be more sensitive to that yeah, because it's yeah. such Twitter and you know yeah. internet discourse is such a yeah, bigger yeah. part of people's Completely. lives. I I feel I've yeah. had a relatively lucky escape that I just yeah. Oh, I don't really. You know, I I use Twitter as a an yeah. additional email inbox and an occasional yeah, means yeah. of going. Yeah. Hey, I'm doing yeah, a yeah. gig here. You know, but.
1: Yeah, I've definitely noticed that this time. I've, I've I've noticed my lack of social media presence doing this show. That actually, right. that I've never thought of, I don't even have Facebook, I've never thought of going on Twitter, and yet, until this time, thinking, oh, it would be very handy just to have a Twitter account, Go, I'm doing the show tonight. and. sure. Of course, that's that's its main. I think purpose. it quickly becomes
0: um, a ravenous beast that, yeah, in order to have any visibility, you yes, need to continually contribute. To,
1: to, yeah, and one night you'll be pissed and think, <laughs> "I'm going to reply to that guy." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. suddenly it all goes to itself. Yeah, but um, I don't know. I still might late to the party. I might, I might still join to it. But If I continue performing live, I think I will because I think yes. it's a useful, thing And is, thing is to that do how
0: are you? So how are you finding the the Edinburgh Festival? The challenge yeah, of doing yeah, a, yeah, a, a show at night?
1: Completely loving it. Because the new challenge was to do a solo show, which I'd never done. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was... Um, that's odd, because you go, OK, well, you've got to keep your energy up for an hour. And it's quite a... You know, is quite full on, so it's quite a, you know, a pump show. And you dash off stage, and, you know, you're used to thinking, oh, well, I'll just sit and watch Murray for ten. <laughs> 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 oh, no, I won't. I've got to, <laughs> I've got to fucking change and <laughs> get back out there. Uh-huh. Um... But I have to say, like the night you were, yeah, the audiences have been great. They've really been enjoying it. Um and even when it's, you know, you're full one night and then you're even but even in, if you get a smaller house on Tuesday or whatever, it's mm. still a great room to play and they're really so far, I well, haven't done twelve twelve and I'd say we've had one bad one. And it didn't really didn't really connect. And the rest of them have been just about the best response I've had to anything mm. I've done, which is sort of which is nice. It's gratifying. But it's just but just the experience of performing again, I've I'm delighted that I'm really enjoying doing that. And the first three days, I was questioning, going, "Shit, I'm nervous," and oh, maybe this is why I don't perform because you can't kind of you say, yeah. "I don't maybe, maybe all performers at the same time." You know, you can't kind of settle, you can't kind of eat, mm. <laughs> and, and then but then you get out there and it's fine and the show's working and I'm settled into it. And the next two weeks, I'll go and see lots of shows. And yeah. no, I've just been really, really loving it. It's great.
0: Is there? Um, it's interesting that there was this gap in your performing life, and you you said there the experience of having a little moment of thinking, "Is this why I don't perform?" Yeah. Is there a, is there a question for you over why you didn't perform for so long? Was it like were you were busy having children, or busy- yeah, it was
1: a bit of that, lots of children, and then just doing writing and doing some producing. And but yeah, it's interesting now. I am questioning why I why I gave up. I think I, I think to an extent. I fell out of love with it a little bit Um, and I think maybe part of that was the chat show I think partly I didn't I I felt a little bit of burnout after that and then I sort of took a couple of years off and then I found I wasn't I wasn't missing it I wasn't missing the performing so suddenly I thought well I've just become a non-performer now and maybe you just the fact that I'm enjoying it so much now maybe I did need that time Mm. off but it was strange around about that time I got a little bit I wouldn't say disheartened, but just a little bit weary of it, which sounds so strange because you're doing the thing that you really love. But I'd gone, so for 2001, I wrote a pilot for Channel 4 that I was going to be in with Marwenna and Peter Richardson and various other people. Um, And I remember that we went to the BBC and they went, oh, great, but can you write two more scripts and we'll see where it goes? And, and I just remember thinking, I don't know. Either, you know... <laughs> decided do you want it or you don't. I, I'm not going to write too much fucking you know. And from the excitement of ten years previously, you know, get going into bursting at somebody's office in Channel Four. Going, can we do this show? That the, uh, something had happened, you know, to me in that intervening period. And I think maybe I just needed to to, to get away from performing um, for a while. But then the break probably just became t- the extended break. Extended. It, it's probably been too long because uh, that's the thing that I should have been performing, and particularly live. I've, I've, I've forgotten the buzz of. Lives great uh, when it goes well. Obviously, it- obviously, last Sunday, I would have said something different <laughs> when I had one of those nights. Okay. But I think you need them, because I'd done four and it had gone really well. And I was ah, oh, it's piss. I know how to do this. And then, yep. oh, ah, uh, no, right. You need that Sunday night to bring you up short and go, actually... <laughs> It's better, it's better, it's better to concentrate a bit harder, yeah.
0: And did you do all the writing for this, for the one that
1: you're, you're doing? For this moment? show? Yes, for this show. Uh, no, not all of it. Wrote okay. all of McLash and And then it's it's Joe Hewlett and Rab Christie, Noddy okay. Davidson and me who've written the Mikkelsen. Okay. So some of Mikkelsen is some of the greatest hits on the TV show. Gotcha. Some new stuff, some stuff written specifically for the live show. Yes. So it's just a mix.
0: Yes, the kind of whiskey galore element yes. of it. With the...
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, exactly.
0: Grand. So, what do you see happening for you in the next ten years of performing? Ooh, blimey,
1: you... I I've no idea really. I never I never plan, um, which is maybe a mistake. I've always been struck by people who have a plan. I've always been quite impressed. I remember way back early days having a drink with Eddie Izzard, and he had a plan. You know, he had oh, five yeah. year plan. You know, wow. And I think he that's just how he organises his life. And even with political, I've got a political plan. I've got this kind of... And I I admire that, but I just can't seem to do that. I, I'm on a whim. Right, I'm going to try... You know, let's do, just do the Emory Festival. Great, let's do that. Let's write this. So I would imagine the next ten years, I want to just keep trying to find something I haven't done before. And if that's in writing or whatever. So performing. There's a part of me, a tiny little part of me thinking... Maybe I should do a solo show, and just as me, which I suppose I'd have to call stand up. I guess, mm-hmm. which I've never done. Um, an encounter I, with an encounter <laughs> with, yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. And I've, I because I've only ever done character stuff. But there's some material ideas you get. Well, actually, you know that character ranting with the glass of, school of fire that you brought up. You, you could do that as a bit of stand up. You could do that as an attitudinal thing. Yes, you know. Um, but I don't know whether that's just a foolish idea to do that or not, but I'm quite tempted by the fact that at my age of 56, it's not going to look like a career move. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, So it's point. not like I'm 26, I'm going to be a stand-up comedian, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. But um, I, may ne- and I may never get around to it, but it's something I haven't done, so that's kind of intriguing to me. But then I haven't written a novel either, and I keep thinking I'll do that, so maybe these things won't happen. But I imagine it will be a version of what I've been doing, a little bit performing, a little bit writing, a little bit of producing. That's it.
0: And is there, are there any particular strategies that you use to overcome creative blocks? Like when you're writing, when you're writing um, comedy?
1: Uh, exercise, it's actually running. I go for a run. I live near Richmond Park. and It's, it's I, a
0: cracking park. Yeah, it's a park, <laughs> It's one of the
1: top parks. And it's very good for running. So I just go out and stop thinking about it. And then I always find in the middle of a run, it'll go oh, right, there it is. that's a really
0: frustrating uh, (laughs) tip (laughs) yeah
1: yeah I know sorry you've got to go for a run (laughs) you've got to exercise I'll do
0: anything to fix this joke not (laughs) that (laughs) not that
1: yeah it could be swimming cycling Um, so create yeah creatively it's to stop thinking about it and go and do something else definitely and pop into it or more and more now improvising within uh, when I was writing I used to be a bit more tied to the typewriter and just Mm. thinking but now with the experience of Mickelson and that and McGlashan. So, I mean, most of McGlashan was written by improvising. Mm. So just wandering around in my room at home shouting and just trying out bits and go, where does that go and where does that lead and then quickly jotting them down. Um, so, yeah, that's, yeah, distraction. Get away from, stop staring at the paper. But, yeah, for me, it's it always seems to be fixed by a run. Are you happy? Yeah, 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 no, very. There's a something in the psychiatrist's chair. <laughs> yeah, the, the mood of the whole podcast, bang! He's coming out <laughs> with the big guns. No, no, I'm bloody miserable. I'm Tony Hancock. I'm going to kill myself. No, sometimes I think I'm disappointed and I'm maybe a little too happy that, um, you know, you should have a bit more angst to be really successful, and yet I'm not. I just, you know, I do this because it's fun. You know, we... We escaped. I mean, it's hard life at times because you don't know where the money's coming from and all that. But you know, I was studying law. I could have been. I could have been a lawyer. I got out, um, and that thrill's never quite left. That this is a lark, you know. It's a lot of fun you. Put, put it on a wig, pretending to be somebody else. It's good. Yeah, no, I'm very satisfied. But,
0: Thanks, man. <laughs> So that was Jack. My thanks to him for coming on the show and, as I mentioned, the Gilded Balloon press office and, of course, the Place Hotel. Thanks, of course, to Nathan Wood for editing this show, uh, to the podcast consultant, Mr Peter Dobbing, uh, and thanks to Rob Smouten for the excellent new music. I hope you're enjoying it. Get in touch and let me know. Info at comedianscomedian.com. We've had some very positive comments on that. It's an anxiety heist. I mean, I love it. Once <laughs> well, someone said it made them feel too anxious. Um, and on the Insiders Club, I think... Uh, someone referred to the fact that they loved it, but they felt... uh, They loved the new music, but they felt a bit disloyal in liking it because the old music has obviously been with us for six years and has now been put out to pasture. That old music is is very well and is now sitting perusing notebooks in uh, the ComCom memory palace. Yeah, why not? The music is a character in the memory palace. This is getting very Doctor Who. So um, that's that for now. Uh, do give me a shout at comcompod on a variety now, a variety of social media. Uh, go to comedianscomedian.com slash insiders if you'd like to join that inner circle and find out, get, you get much closer access to me. We're sort of all constantly live on a workspace app, so people are effectively um, chatting to each other and I'm taking great part of that. It's like a, sort of the Facebook group plus um, with a bunch of uh, different projects uh, coming on there, and uh, you you get to interview me about things that you want, and then I broadcast them on the little private podcast. So if that appeals to you, then please join up soon. And uh, I think oh, there's a bit of an announcement coming up, but I'm not quite in a position to announce it yet, so let's draw a line under that for now and uh, misdirect you with a, a wave of my hand as we go into the postamble. Uh Coming up soon, I think, oh, who's next? Is it Laura Lex? Is it Alex Adelman? Is it Janine Garuffalo? Is it Mark Thomas? Who can say? Speak to you soon. And then in a post kind of way, here, this is not what I was going to talk about. But let's talk about this because, you know, I'm, I'm very keen not to simply wang on about my child. There's not much else happening in my life apart from parenting at the moment. But let's talk about this. I'm looking out the window at some scaffolders who are... Now, what are they doing? Is it going up across the road or is it coming down? I think it's going up. Did you know how scaffolding works? I don't mean in a sort of physical climbing the bits of metal kind of way. Do you know where scaffolders keep scaffolding? They keep it on your house. They put it up and then they leave it there until such time as they, uh, as they need it somewhere else. Because why would you take it down, drive it back to a depot and store it there? Why don't you just leave it on Stu's house and then wait many months for you to... Oh, we're putting it somewhere in the area. Let's move it there. And will they take it down if you ask them? Will they buggery? Have you been in this? Have you been in this position? This is the sort of thing we need to get. I believe Joe Lycett is doing some new consumer affairs programme on the BBC. We should get him on this. Did you know about this? This is one of those things that as soon as it happens to you, you go, "Oh right, this is um." This is uh, one of those life things that you don't find out about. No-one ever tells you. No-one says, are oh, you going to get scaffolding, are you? Maybe we should start doing a, a regular <laughs> strand or a column on this show where I go, here's another thing I learned about life that I wish someone had told me so that when I went into it, I could have not paid the roofer until the scaffolding had been removed. God damn it, that was a long... I mean, we got there in the end. But of course... It's one of those secret ways life works. If you're a scaffolder, it doesn't make any sense for you to bother taking your stuff down. Why don't you just leave it up, thus forcing the owner of the property to do what? Suggestions, please. I looked into it. I had a a Google of it. And as soon as you Google help, there's still scaffolding on my house. There are a bajillion people on there, consumers, disgusted consumers who are very happy to say the only thing you can do is get in touch with the scaffolders. And somehow convince them that you're happy to take the scaffolding down yourself, store it off-site, off-site key thing, at their expense. You've got to threaten them with going, all right, I'm going to charge you 400 quid to get your scaffolding back. And then if you can convince them you genuinely mean to do that, despite your absolute lack of skill with scaffolding, and the fact that if you did try and take it down yourself, you'd probably kill yourself because it's incredibly dangerous and you don't know what you're doing... If you can convince them that you're crazy enough to do it anyway, or you know some people who are crazy enough and shady enough to take it away and nick it, then they'll remove it the next day. And if you don't know that, or you can't convince them, and you don't know the relevant parties, then you just have to live under some scaffolding for the rest of your life. Scaffolding. It's a metaphor for growing up. (laughs) The system gets you, because... Everyone who was here before you has been learning how to make the system work for themselves. And then you turn up, glistening and bright-eyed into adulthood, and you go, oh, could you put a thing on my house so that I can... I mean, I've got my head round the fact it's going to cost me loads of money, but the top of the flat is just too tall for a ladder to get to. So please treat me well, life. Please don't stiff me over. Please don't build a metal cage around my house that I can't remove. Please... Was that a post-amble? It'll have to do. Fucking scaffolders. And I should say, I'm sure there are really good ones out there who listen to this and are very uh, kind and caring and do exactly as they're told. Are there? Are you a scaffolder? Have you been affected by the issues in this episode? Please send me an email, info at comedianscomedian.com with the subject line, fucking scaffolders! (laughs)